Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Ezekiel 14. I'm trying to find all my mess around here. Ezekiel 14. Glad to be back in the house of the Lord. Amen. On this Sunday night. Amen. We already heard good teaching this morning from Brother Mason. We're glad to be back in the house of the Lord. Remember all of our announcements for this week starting Wednesday with church, Thursday prayer, Friday family game night. Amen. Plenty of stuff. Plenty of stuff this week to get us started for the next couple of months. Amen. Of activities that will be taking place in your life and mine as well. Amen. Ezekiel 14. As when we were gone, unbeknownst to me, we were at a place and I was getting out of the vehicle and there was a lot of farm animals around and I was trying to give them their space and I locked the keys in the car. And I was hoping Brother Fred was in within distance. But he was nowhere to be found. And uh, I was so aggravated because I don't do that. And people that understand what I'm saying understand how I was feeling. I just don't do that. I dropped my wife off at the door being a gentleman. She didn't take her purse with her. And she had told me that day, she says, you don't really need all those keys. You just need the keys to the vehicle. So you can just take the keys to the vehicle off there. So I'm usually, used to have a wad in each side of my pocket. One's church and one's personal. So I didn't have church with me. I left them. So I just went down to those little one key. That's really all it came down to. So whenever I got out trying to respect the farm animals, I left it in the ignition. I was so mad to have somebody come and have to pay them 40 bucks to unlock my vehicle. Matter of fact, Don says, you have to know my wife. She will and deal anybody. She says, do you have any 20-year anniversary specials? And so he knocked $5 off. And that's just the way she operates. That's the way. <laughs> she stayed around. I'm sure she could have thought of something else in the month and got five more dollars if he had the time. But um, good to be back in the house of the Lord and have my wad of keys in my pocket. <laughs> Amen. And a close enough distance of people I know that could come and get me out of trouble. Ezekiel 14. Verse number 12, the Bible states these words. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, will break the staff of bread thereof, will send famine upon it, will cut off man and beast from it. If you continue reading the chapter, chapter 14, he speaks about, bringing famine in the land. He speaks about bringing uh, some noisome beast into the land. He speaks about bringing the sword or war, if you will, into land. And lastly, he, he speaks about bringing pestilence into the land each of these times. And then verse 14, read now. It said, Those, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it. If they were in this land, if they were in this city, though they be in it, they should deliver but their own souls by the righteousness, saith the Lord God. 
And so he's telling them all these different afflictions that would come, famine, sword. He says this concerning these three men and all these different episodes. All these three episodes, if they even were there, if they even were present, they would not be able to bring you deliverance, but they would only be able to deliver their own souls by the lives that they, they lived. Turning over now to chapter 18 of the same book, chapter 18 of Ezekiel. Chapter 18, I want to read verses 1 through 4. And you're hearing here tonight. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all the souls are mine. As the soul of thy father, so also the soul of thy son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall, it shall die. Amen. For a little while tonight, I want to minister this subject individual responsibility individual responsibility he says in chapter 14 a righteous man basically couldn't compensate for your wickedness but he says in chapter 18 that a wicked man basically can't compensate for your righteousness you have an individual responsibility as it was then so it is now we each have an individual responsibility help us lord jesus tonight i come to you lord god by prayer lord i'm thankful lord jesus for your spirit i'm thankful god for the songs that lord have been lord jesus sung in this place god your musicians that have played god people that have lord frequented the prayer room tonight and called upon the name of the lord and invited you lord jesus into the service i i pray oh lord this evening that you're able to help lord these lips of clay god messenger lord that is indeed fallible but your word is infallible i pray oh god tonight lord you able to speak lord into the lives of your people i pray god my own life god I need to hear from heaven tonight, Lord Jesus, through your word. God, speak to me, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, collectively us as a body here tonight. God, will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you do in this place. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Hallelujah. Amen in Jesus' name. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord. Individual responsibility I believe it makes us feel it makes us feel better it makes us feel better to think that the good fortunes of a successful person's life was handed to them on a silver platter I think it makes us feel better to think that that is the way that it happens that if a person has found success in their life it's because success was in their DNA. Success was handed down to them by a mother and a father that was successful or reached a certain level, a certain level of, of success. Often we will, we will even pose sometimes. I'm talking about real life right now. 
will even pose sometimes how such and such, whatever the name may be, was, you know, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. They, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, so they, 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 they kind of just had this handed, handed down to them. They, they didn't have to work for anything. Didn't have to work for anything that they, they've gotten. They, they were just born into this lap of luxury and success. Or equally as often in our lives sometimes we may remark how, you know, so-and-so didn't, didn't have a fighting chance in this life. They didn't have a fighting chance in this world because they, they had a very deplorable environment that they were reared in and they had some hardships and they were brought up into some situations that befell them that were quite negative and not, not, not very supportive of them. And so they, they just didn't have, they didn't have a fighting chance, you know. They, they are the way they are because that's the circumstances and the bill of goods that's been handed to them and they are a result then of, of, of what life had been for them in their form years and that's just the way that it is and we may look at both of these scenarios uh, people perhaps that have succeeded and others that have still remained in that arena of being down and out and while both of these may be debatable there are other stories that we marvel at in life well that we have read or that we have been exposed to and those are those terms those rags to riches story I mean how many likes a good rags to riches story someone that was born in deep poverty they they didn't have all the perks and advantages if you will of just even an average normal Joe yet they fought against the adversity of their surroundings they arose above it and succeeded like we think those people that only had success in their DNA succeed and yet at the same time we can't ignore or dismiss the horrific riches to rags Stories of well, somebody that was born in the lap of luxury and seemingly had the stars and the planets lined up for them and their future only to find the drama of their life that they're sitting somewhere in a ditch. They have habits, you know, that have led them down a slippery slope and there they remain. But what we do as humanity, at least if I believe myself to be right about humanity, is that we expect the well-to-do parents to generate well-to-do children. That's what we expect. We, we assume that the down and out is going to perpetuate a line of down and out type of people. That's going to be their kind of future. It's just going to be perpetuated. It's going to be repeated. Yet somehow, the different narratives of life that there is, whenever there's one that exceeds our expectations, the one that goes from rags to riches, we marvel at it. Yet when there's the other story of those that come short of our expectations of riches to rags we are disappointed but I understand one thing concerning all these different stories that our lives can read of and that we can be familiar with and that is the successes and the failures whether they come from a notable family or a less than noble family they all have the same factor and the same ingredient in each of their lives and that is simply this choices choices sure a wealthy family may benefit Johnny for his future but that alone will not determine his future and just the same as a drug-strewn environment, 
amen, may, prevent, may, may present some challenges and may present some hurdles for little Susie, but it must not become an excuse for an unfulfilled future for Susie. Surely tonight we can understand that the prestige and the notoriety, if you will, of a family does not entitle Johnny to an effortless future. Any more than a difficult start prevents Susie from a brighter outcome than what her parents had. Someone say amen. They both, of these instances, they both have choices to make. And their response and their reaction to life will propel them in some direction, whether for the better or for the worse. Perhaps tonight there isn't anything more frustrating than a person playing the victim to their former generation or to their parents, saying they are a victim of their circumstances. But perhaps similarly tonight, a person that is also feeling entitled to perks, amen, of what the former generation had, that equally is just as frustrating, thinking that they would not have to put forth any personal investment to have what they have. But perhaps there's something that tops both of these real life situations. And the issue at hand, I believe, is really this. And that is when we don't feel responsible for our choices. Someone say amen. We look at the word of God in the scripture. Ezekiel was writing during the time whenever Jerusalem are just a few years, if not five years, from destruction. It's been steadily upon the lips of Jeremiah. It's been steadily upon the lips of Ezekiel of a day that would come that Jerusalem and the inhabitants of the land, there would be destruction that would come upon them. But the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem itself, is living in, under a misunderstanding. They are living under a misconstrued concept and a misconstrued idea. They believe that they, all of the destruction, all the mayhem that is prophesied for them, the things, the captivity that is on the fringe of happening and taking place, they believe all of that which is happening to them is not because of them. We read over in Ezekiel chapter number 18. He tells them, he said, you're not going to be able to use the proverb anymore that your fathers have eaten sour grapes and they have set the children's teeth on edge. He says, because you all use that proverb to mean this, that you are just suffering from the sins of your fathers. You use that proverb in such a way you're seeing the Jerusalem going to be destroyed and the mayhem that's going to come upon it. And in your mind, you're thinking this punishment is coming upon us because of some bad deed or some horrid event that our fathers had done and our fathers had practiced. We are suffering as a result of our father's sins and that's the way they were taking it. They didn't see that they had any power to change it. They didn't see that they had any power to redirect it. They didn't see that they had a vote in order to make the determination of this any different than what it was. They believed that they were locked in to being, if you will, the effect, if you will, of the cause of a father's bad decision. Someone say amen. 
They received this from long ago. What they have done is misconstrued the law of Moses. They have misconstrued the law of Moses. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter number 20 and verse number 5, he said, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, speaking of false gods, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. If we were to stop right there, it would seem like the children of Israel, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, are thinking right. That the iniquity of the fathers, the punishment is put upon, amen, the generations after them, even to the third and the fourth generation. If that's the way that they would stop right there, that's the way that should be interpreted. But that's not where it stops. It says, into the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. In other words, it's not that a father sins and then the generations after him suffer, amen, or are punished for their father's sins. But a father sins and then the next generation hates God just as much as their father before them hated God. And so it's not that they're receiving punishment for what their father had done, but they're receiving punishment for what they have done themselves. Someone say amen. But the inhabitants of Jerusalem was under this false idea that what we're suffering right now is something that daddy had done. And I have no power to change it. We're going to have to, destruction's coming. It's going to happen. We're going to have to accept it because we are suffering from what daddy did. Someone say amen. And they could, they could assume the role of a victim mentality. Woe is me. This is the hand that's been dealt to me. Woe is me because of somebody else's wickedness. I'm going to have to suffer because of somebody else's sin. I'm going to have to suffer because of somebody else's failure. I'm going to have to suffer. But God come to tell them. He said, you no longer can use that proverb. He said, this is not about you suffering for something somebody else done. He says, this is about you suffering for what you have done in your generation. You've turned to idols just as much as they have. You have forsaken me just as much as they have. What he was telling them is this. You need to become responsible for your own actions. You need to become responsible for your own responses. You do have a choice in this matter. Amen. Amen. Someone say amen. And yet, and yet likewise, on the other hand, we have a group. He says there's going to come destruction. There's going to come mayhem. And evidently he was combating another group that had their own theories and their own ideas. If they did not think that they were suffering because of the fathers before them doing some wrong, they were thinking perhaps that if we have any righteousness in the forefathers that went before us, it will save us from the pending doom upon our lives and upon our families. And so God told them, he said, listen, boys. He said, I'm going to send famine. I'm going to send a noisome beast. I'm going to send a sword and war. I'm going to send all of these things. And there's going to be loss of life. And there's going to be loss of your families. He says, but let me just set you right now straight. He said, even if Daniel, 
And even if Job and even if Noah were right now living right now in your day and they're right here in this circumstance, he says these were righteous men. The Bible says Noah in his generation was the only one that was upright and a righteous preacher in his generation. Amen. And God had an eye of favor toward him. He said Job, he starts out the book of Job saying he was perfect and he was an upright man. He was a righteous man. Speaking of Daniel, the Bible talks about he did not take of the king's dignities and that he still kept his prayer life in spite of trying to be persuaded otherwise. He was a righteous man. And although it may look like that Noah, amen, built an ark to the saving of his family, and although it may look like Daniel was instrumental in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego having any knowledge to stand when they were told to bow, and although it looks like Job when he prayed for his three friends, amen, and they repented that he turned the circumstances of them in their life. He said if these three were here, their righteousness would not be able to save you. Someone say glory. Because Israel was living under a misconception. They were living under an idea that, you know what, we're going to lean upon the old story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to lean upon the fact that Abraham, amen, went to bargaining with God and said, God, are you going to destroy the righteous among the wicked? God, if there's 50, will you not destroy it? If there's 40, will you not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Amen. If there's 35, if there's 25, he gets all the way down to 10. If there's 10, will you not destroy the righteous with the wicked? But folks, this is not a matter of the wicked not being destroyed amen because of the righteous this is a matter of personal responsibility this is a matter that you have a choice you have a decision you have a response you have a reaction you can't put that on anybody else you can't put that responsibility on your mama or your daddy or your pastor or your church you got to take that responsibility for yourself Because the end of the day, Sodom was destroyed. And at the end of the day, Jerusalem would be destroyed. Just like in the end of our world, he which is to come will come. And he'll be destroyed. Someone say amen. Uh, Think now, my brother McGee, Noah built an ark to the saving of his family. Noah could not save the whole earth. Noah could not save every individual that lived during that time. He preached the message. He lived righteously. He built an ark to the but he built an ark to the saving of his family. Surely, if Noah was alive at this time. His righteousness will be able to cover us. But I'm here to tell you tonight that Noah built his ark to the saving of his family. But Noah did not pick up those boys 
and did not pick up those daughter-in-laws and carry them into the ark and set their feet on the opposite side of that door. He didn't pick up those boys. He didn't tug on them. He didn't push them. He said, here's the ark. Everybody that heard the message heard the same message that his children heard. He says, here it is. They, by their own volition, had to make a trip and walk and get in the ark before the door shut. Amen. It was for the saving of his family, yes, but they had a personal responsibility. They had a choice. Yeah, yeah. But Brother McGee, Daniel, 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 his friend Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he illustrated before them the example of how to stay strong to his roots in a land that was foreign to him. He showed them how to not partake of the king's dainties, but give pulse and water and how their countenance would be more fair than anybody else. He showed them all of that. And during their moment of trial, amen, no doubt what they learned from Daniel, his righteousness, his uprightness, amen, is what saved them. Amen, is what saved them. Folks, can I tell you tonight, amen, though Daniel would be there in that hour of Jerusalem, he still by no means his righteousness could save them because Daniel's friends, they still had to stand when they were called to bow. They still had to pray and mostly they still had to trust God when they felt the fire all about them. What are you saying tonight, friend? I'm saying they had a responsibility. They had a choice in spite. They had a choice. But if it were Job, listen, Job couldn't even save his own kids. The Bible says every morning, Job would get up and he would after offer sacrifices. At pre-adventure, his kids had sinned. And that's commendable. Keep doing it. But that won't save our babies. And that did save his babies. Yeah, but he got his friends all turned around after he prayed for them. That might be so, but the Bible says the Lord required of them a burnt offering and repentance in order for it to happen. You know what? They had to make the choice. I'm going to offer what's required, and I'm going to pray the prayer of repentance, and we're going to get this thing turned around. So it doesn't matter if there's one righteous. You still have a responsibility. Someone say glory. Someone say yes. What I'm trying to get across tonight is this. There's no such thing as borrowed faith. There's no such thing. Brother Mason, he just hit on it just a little bit this morning. He was talking about how the old timers and years ago, they used to talk about a no-so salvation. Uh A no-so salvation. He spoke about how we need to be intentional and not accidental. Listen, if we split hell open, it'll be because we did it on purpose. If we split heaven's gates open, it's going to be because we did it on purpose. There are no accidents in this thing called life. This is not, well, maybe they'll make it or maybe they won't. No, no, honey, they're going to make it or they're not going to make it. There are no accidents in this life. Someone say amen. And so, whenever I was growing up, the whole concept and idea was this. And that is, 
But folks, we sincerely cannot make it. We cannot make it upon the righteousness of another. The righteousness of another in our life will not guarantee success in our own life. But just as sure as that is clear, wickedness in your past family's life, or you living in not the most accommodating environment, cannot damn you as well. Because I feel something in the apostolic church today that people are playing victims of their circumstances and saying, I can't because of this. Or this is what's been dealt to me. And so this is the way life is going to be for me. That is a lie from the pits of hell. But yet on the other side, we need not be entitled because I got three generations before me that were apostolic Pentecost. I don't want to be able to stay. I feel entitled because I'm coasting in on the coattail of grandma and grandpa and mom and dad. No, 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 friend. I got an individual responsibility. If I make it to heaven, it's because Paul McGee chose to live a God, a godly life that was pleasing into the Lord. It won't be because of this man's prayer or his granddad's prayer. It will be because I pray. You hearing, you hearing what I'm saying? Because it's very easy to go either direction. It's very easy to feel as though we're entitled, amen, to this life for the Lord or that we are prevented from this life for the Lord all based upon our circumstances in life and where we presently are or where we have been or where our families have been. But I can point to people right now that are first-generation Pentecost who were born into homes of drugs, born into homes of illicit sex, but they're living for God today and they're living for God because they had an individual responsibility either to accept him as Lord or Savior or not what are you saying I'm saying you don't have a choice or a decision that I didn't have and I'm not trying to be mean or insensitive to anybody said under the sound of my voice but you can all day long ride on what has happened to you in your life and say there's no way or you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and he said I can in Christ Jesus and so in Christ Jesus I will So it's amen. See, the Jews had it wrong. In New Testament scripture, they came to Jesus. And they thought they would throw out their clout card. We have Abraham as our father. They pulled out the clout card. Abraham's our father. And in another place, they told him, said, we're disciples of Moses. What are they looking for? Entitlement. Abraham's the father of the nation of Israel. He's the father of the Jews. It's like talking to Jesus and whispering, saying, and Jesus like, and what's that supposed to mean? What's that supposed to mean? He said, what? Let, this is Paul McGee right here. Let's go back a little further. What was Abraham's father like? Terah, a pagan worshiper. He says, you want special privileges because Abraham's your father? 
Well, what gave Abraham his place? Because his father was a pagan? No, but because Abraham made a choice. When I said go and get away from your country and your people, he went. He had an individual responsibility. And it's not going to be any different for you boys in this hour or in our hour. We got a individual responsibility. I thank God for my heritage, but my heritage is not a get-out-of-jail-free card or a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is not. Let me tell you something. My mom in the morning, bless her heart, I remember being a, being a high school student, Brother Alex, in the mornings. We were to pray in the mornings before we went to school. I remember I was the only one probably left at the house at this time. Amen. I remember if I came out of that room, what she suspected to be too soon. She Paul Robert, you done praying already? Get back in that room and pray. I meant to use this shield right now. There's sometimes I went back there and prayed. And there's other times I went back in there and laid my head on the bed. And I thank God for that type of rearing. And that might have that might have positioned me for a right direction. But that did not save me. That did not cure the ills of hell destination for me. What it meant was when, I, as I told you, I went to that room. Sometimes I did, sometimes I did. What was going on? I was making a choice in that matter. Paul McGee's not standing here today, and I say this with all dignity and with all concern. I love my parents, but I'm not standing here today because of a mom and a dad. I'm standing here today because somewhere in the history of my life, I made a choice. And if we think it's always contingent upon what went before us, we'll find ourselves doomed and despair. You must make a choice for yourself. There's some people that have backslid after their parents have died and went on. You know why? They had mommy and daddy religion. No, no, no. You don't need that type of religion. You don't need the first apostolic church religion. You need the Holy Ghost. You need a spirit from on high. You got a personal responsibility. I pray I'm here the rest of my days, but if I were to ever lead, you don't need to backslide because it's not a, a religion or experience based upon your pastor. You need a personal soul relationship with God. Someone say glory. <laughs> My, 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 my. Someone say, my, my. So we got to get to the place that the wickedness that I've been reared in does not prevent me from obtaining what God has for me. And the pleasure of apostolic heritage that I may have doesn't entitle me to what God wants for me. We have a personal responsibility. God is not, listen, God is not impressed with tenure. Let me tell you something. If the righteousness of a person was enough to cover 
and perpetuate righteousness in every succeeding generation. There would never be an apostolic child that would ever backslide from an apostolic home. And neither would there ever be a sinner child come to God that came from a long line of sinners. It never happened. That just goes to show me. It's not based upon that man's righteousness or that man's wickedness. It's based upon a decision that has been granted to every individual living and that has already died. And that is decision. Listen. Listen to me very closely. God, from what I can see, God has, has never but once, listen to me, God has never but once allowed the wickedness of a man to annul the righteousness of other men. But never has he again, except from my understanding, once has he ever used the righteousness of a man to compensate for the wickedness of men. He only did it once. The only time that it seemed the wickedness of a man, a man gnawed, if you will, the righteousness of a man was in the man, Adam. He took Adam and Eve. The Bible says he, he, he placed Adam in the garden east of Eden. It's a garden. That word garden means in an enclosure. He set them in an enclosure. He set them in an enclosed, a just right, if you will, circumstance, just right environment. But he left them with one thing. Choice. Choice. Tree in the midst of the garden. Knowledge of good and evil. Choice. Don't eat it. But he didn't remove the ability of them being able to eat it. Choice. And in that one moment that he permitted... One man, the Bible says, let me get to the scripture. The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse number 18. I'll even start verse number 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous now here it is one man then his sin his transgression caused all men to be born into sin that's the first and the only time God ever allowed the wickedness or transgression of a man to annul all humanity. But in the second Adam. Christ Jesus. The Bible says when we come to know the Lord. He doesn't impute our sin to us. But he gives us his righteousness. Huh? In 2 Corinthians 5 you can read that somewhere around verse 20. He gives unto us. His righteousness. And he takes our sin. And so that's the only moment that I know of. Where the righteousness of a man. Is compensated for the wickedness of a man. Are you with me? That's the only time he did it. That's the only time he's going to do it. And here's why. 
Because if he could take my dad's righteousness and allow that to compensate for my wickedness, he would be making that man on equal terms with Christ Jesus. And he said, I already allowed one man, righteousness, to become the compensation for humanity's wickedness. And so there's no need for another. So we don't have a sense of entitlement today. But through acceptance and a choice of making Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We take his righteousness and he takes our wickedness. And as a result of that personal responsibility. We live in the light as he is the light. And we have fellowship one with the other. Someone say glory. So then again, please, please don't take me as being mean. But if you're first generation Pentecost, you're not of a feebler place or status than me being fourth generation Pentecost. We both had equal opportunity. I know my feet might have been set in a, in a better started direction because of my upbringing. Maybe yours wasn't. But we can cast off all day long on that. What it really comes down to is we have a choice. you either saved or unsaved. you either found of His or not of His. And that's your choice. We can bellyache all day. Amen. If we backslide or lose out with God, saying it's because my mom was this. Listen to me. Whenever you read further in the book of Ezekiel, between chapter 14 and chapter number 18, when you read, amen, Ezekiel starts talking about Jerusalem. You hear me? He says, Jerusalem, listen, this was Jerusalem's background. This was their origin. He says, your father, your father, your mother was a Hittite, and your father was an Amorite. Are you hearing me? Those two ites are not good ites. You ought not be a part of them. The Amorite and the Hittite. Not good ites. But he said, Jerusalem, that was your heritage. As a matter of fact, whenever you were born, no one swaddled you. Whenever you were born, no one salted you. When you were born, no one cut your umbilical cord. No one held you. No one coddled you. He said, but whenever I went by... I saw you lying there polluted in your own blood. Whenever I came into the divine intersection of your life, I said, live, I live, and I carried you, I swallowed you, I salted you. You know what he's saying? He's saying you didn't have a good start, but you allowed me to come into your life. And that changed everything. The wickedness of your father and your mother didn't prevent you from my goodness. You made a choice to bow yourself up. Here's the thing with Jerusalem. He goes on to talk to him in that same chapter. He said, but somewhere along the way you start serving false gods. Well, my daddy didn't. Nope. That's not where it's at. You chose to do that. You chose to do that. As a matter of fact, he says, we're, we're, we was in this marriage together. You know how the Bible talks about our relationship with God as being a marriage or a union? So we're in this marriage together. He said, and you played the role of an adulteress. Now watch it now. When he spoke to Jerusalem, they were the worst type of an adulteress. They even didn't serve in the role of a prostitute. 
A prostitute receives money to have relations with somebody. He said, but you were the worst type of adulteress. He said, you weren't receiving money to have relationship with people. You were paying people to have relationships with you. That wasn't their mama's fault. That wasn't their daddy's fault. That was Jerusalem's fault. They had a personal responsibility. Somebody hearing me? We're going to get us a little non-slip pad up here. In the name of Jesus. That day I've kept my, I, I almost was halfway confused and distracted this morning for watching this thing slide as he taught. Man, we're going to get rid of that distraction in Jesus' name. Someone say we're without excuse. Without excuse. Nobody has anything entitled to them. Nobody has anything prevented from them. We all have access to the same shelf. And it's accessible to every single one of us. Now you can do what you want to do with your life. That's your choice. You can react and respond to the circumstances of life as you may because that's your My kids are getting a little older. I can I preach to my kids a little bit? They're here. My wife's not here, so I'll preach to them tonight. Mariah and Trevor, you better listen to me right now. Listen to me right now. Mariah, you're 12 years old. Trevor, you're 8. You listen to me. Your life lived for God is not just given to you because your dad's a pastor. Your life serving the Lord is not just given to you because your daddy prays at home and at the church. Your life of living for God isn't there because I read my Bible every day or you see me go to the church and study every week. That, that, no, no, it's not given to you because of that. No, sir. No, ma'am. It's not given to you because every once in a while we dabble in the conference arena on the camp meeting floor. There's no perk or entitlement to you living for God because Daddy does that. No, 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 no. If you're going to be saved, if you're going to live for God, it's going to be because Mariah and Trevor prays. It's going to be because Mariah and Trevor read their Bible. It's going to be because Mariah and Trevor get up every morning. When they're in church, they decide they're going to worship. It's not because your mama is women's free president or I'm the ministry director. It's none of that. You're not entitled to anything concerning those things. It's because you have a responsibility to cry and weep and repent before the throne of God and make a decision for yourself. But just at the same token, at the same token, Brother James, whatever life has been for you growing up, and you're the long ranger, it would seem, in your family, that doesn't prevent you from being a student pastor at the First Apostolic Church. That doesn't prevent you from teaching home Bible studies and praying people through to the Holy Ghost. That doesn't prevent you from having a godly life and a son and living righteously and godly. That doesn't give you an excuse. You have a personal responsibility 
Don't let the devil tell you, well, you've had it too bad. It's been too horrible. Honey, I tell you right now, you got a choice. You got a choice. You got a choice. Please, listen to me. Please do not do the disservice to any parent, grandparent. Please do not do the disservice to any of them when someone falls away from God and say, well, they must not have brought them up right. Please do not do the disservice to any one of them. Please do not cut off the potential in anybody's life because the present circumstances are not very favorable. Please don't you ever say, well, it's probably never going to be them in the church. Don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever. They got a choice. They got a choice. Don't you rate them of their choice. Don't you rate them of their personal responsibility. Yes, they can if they make a decision to do it. Yes, they can if they give themselves unto the Lord. Yes, We want to put people in their little boxes. The wealthy's going to be wealthy. The poor's going to be poor. The successful's going to be successful. And the down and out are going to be the down and out. The lost are going to be lost. And the saved are going to be saved. I say let's mix it all up. And let's give them a choice. And let those that are unsaved get saved. And let the saved say I'm not entitled to this. But I'm going to live for God. We, we, so many folks have a legacy, son. Ah, uh, some of them cut their teeth on the church pew. <laughs> true, true. Just, I'm not meddling. I'm just preaching. Yeah, had had I been a little girl whenever they got in church, if I was a little girl when my parents got in church, like Shane Malone, be no problem serving the Lord. I could set a row of girls similar to her age right by her that had the same opportunity. Had the same opportunity. But they're no longer here. And I don't rejoice over that. My heart is sorrowful over that. But they had a choice just like she had a choice. And just because she was young when her parents started the church didn't entitle her to being a student pastor's wife right now. That didn't entitle her. But what she made in her mind is when another one left, she says, I'm going to draw closer to God. When they walked out the door, she says, I'm going to walk in the church. When they stopped praying, she says, God, this is where I'm going to make it. In a time, I'm responsible. You hear this pastor tonight? You have a personal individual responsibility musicians will come Jerusalem I'm not going to give you occasion anymore to use that excuse basically that proverb I'm going to give you occasion to do that in the more. He 
He said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. If it was the father that did it, he'll die. If it's the son that did it, he'll die. Look through the long line of kings, kings of Jerusalem, kings of Judah. There were good kings that were born from evil king loins. And there were evil kings that was born from good king loins. Everybody had an individual response ability. If you'll stand with me tonight. I think it's important, church family, I think it's important that we illustrate and we tell our kids, listen to them, I think it's important that we tell them that just because we are in church now and we do what we do right now, it's not a given that they will be. I think it's important that we intentionally push the responsibility on their shoulders at a young age. That's the reason why mom told me to get back in that room and pray. She knew when I went in there I had a choice whether I was doing it or not. I don't know if she had a glass up the door listening. She may have. As good as her ears are, she didn't need it to class. Maybe she thought I was practicing what dad always said. Be silent sometimes and let God will speak to you. And while it is ultimately true that he first loved us and he first chose us, that is all true. He loved you first. But the relationship truly only starts when you reciprocate that and you love him back. He chose you, yes. Everyone sitting in the sound of my voice, he has already chosen you. But the relationship only starts when you reciprocate that and you choose him back. You have a response ability. And we are without excuse. Now, it's amazing you got to do this nowadays, but pre-adventure somebody totally just murders everything I've said tonight. Say, well, Brother McGee said the choice is up to my kids, and so if you want to come to church, come to church. If you don't want to come to church, don't come to church. I'm going to stand up on this podium and jack slap you. They living in your house, eating your food, you're paying for their clothes. They buy, buy legal documents are below the age of adulthood. You are responsible. I guarantee you, there's nights that I ask some my kids if they wanted to go to church. They probably say they want to stay home. Hands down. But we go in church. 
So, yeah, we all have a personal responsibility. We also, as parents, have a responsibility to try to steer that direction. So that when we are no longer a part of the equation, proper decisions will be made that's acceptable to the Lord. we got to teach them what's acceptable unto the Lord. Not just teach it with what we say, but teach it with how we live. The old saying says, sometimes what we're doing is so loud we can't hear what they're saying. You got to teach them. Starting this past month, I, I know sometimes how intimidating Bible reading can be for anybody. Especially for younger kids. King James Version. Although they're doing that, but I'm, I'm going to switch that up to make it a little bit more palatable. I made this little chart for Mariah for the month of November. Put 30 scriptures on there. Every scripture has to do with Thanksgiving since it's the month of Thanksgiving. It's only maybe eight or nine verses each day. And she, I, I put a picture of her on this and I made this up, Photoshop, you know. Printed out, and she's been dotting each night. She reads before she goes to bed, dotting those things. Sometimes when I'm in there to pray, she'll tell me things she don't understand, and we'll we'll talk about them. We still do family devotions at night together, but she'll dot it. She came in there just last night. She said, "Dad," she said, "I got behind while you was gone." She said, "I need to read three of those t- tonight." She says, "I read all three of them." She says, "You know, you really could put some chapters in there rather than just a seven or six verses." I said, I understand that, hon. I said, I understand that. I said, but it's not about how much you read. It's about what you read, just kind of mulling that over in your mind, considering it, thinking about it. Now, while she's living in my home, I can probably keep track, Brother Terry, whether she's keeping a little dot up or And that's great and tremendous. It's going to come someday, though. Perhaps she'll go away to college. She won't be under my roof. She'll get married and have a husband. She's going to have a choice. Do I do what I was taught to do in my home or do I do differently and you know what at that point I have no say I have no say the responsibility is up to her can we close our eyes all across this place oh I feel the Holy Ghost I feel the convicting power of God in this place. These altars are open tonight. Sir or ma'am, if you've been throwing off, you've been throwing off headway that you could be making the kingdom of God because of you weren't brought up in church or this or that. If you've been throwing off on that and using that as your, your excuse, I'm sorry. You're the responsible party. You're the responsible party. You're a child of God in this place and you've had some, some similitude of a heritage that's been passed down to you and you've been floating along in the rituals and the formalism of church feeling like, you know, it's just a feather that's in your hat. Sir, ma'am, I'm sorry. It don't work that way. you got to know the Lord for yourself. you got to be dedicated to the Lord for yourself. You have to have a prayer life for yourself. You got to have a time of devotion for yourself. You got choices to make for yourself. Your pastor can't do it. 
Your church can't do it. Your mommy and daddy and great, great, great grandmother, God rest her soul, she cannot be responsible for it. You are responsible for you. You are responsible for you. These altars are open. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.